Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's tryexpressvpn.com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Visit tryexpressvpn.com slash space to learn more. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9... Ignition sequence start. Space nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again. Thank you for joining us on the Space Nuts podcast. We like to call it Space Nuts because all the good stuff was taken. Uh, it is episode 90. Uh, I'm Andrew Dunkley, and with me, of course, is uh, Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. Uh, Observatory. Fred, hello, and can you believe we're up to episode 90? Uh, I don't know why, Andrew, but that makes me feel very, very old indeed. <laughs> well, if you, um, if you add it all up, it means we've wasted 45 hours of our lives. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> it's 45 hours. We're never going to get back. We'll never get it back. It's all gone. It's so, all gone. Uh, but but you, it does beg the question that we really should start thinking about what we're going to do for episode 100. Yes, we should. Um, we could miss it out altogether, I suppose. We might be able to research topics that are... You know, have the number 100 associated with them. We could do that. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, that would be the clever thing to do, but... Mm. When have we ever done anything? Well, you know, we could do a flashback. What was happening in space 100 years ago? Yeah. I mean, we weren't doing anything, but something was happening out there. Or we could just do a whole program dedicated to listener questions. They all sound like good alternatives. Yeah. Um, we'll figure we'll that work... out. We've got, 10, we've got 10 weeks to figure 10 that out. 10 weeks to work it out. Indeed. <laughs> now, today, Fred, we're going to look at a tumbling cigar in space. We've actually spoken about this object before, but now they've discovered something else is going on with it. Uh, some fake news, fake news involving the Trump government. Uh, so all Americans block your ears. And artificial gravity. We have a question about whether or not that is something that is being developed for space stations and, I guess, interstellar travel or even not even interstellar travel. But we'll talk about that. Uh, but first, Fred, uh, the tumbling cigar. This is the Oumuamua uh, asteroid that we talked about uh, not so long ago that's shaped like, um, oh, let's say, oh, gosh, what would, what would it be shaped like, Fred? I'm thinking Robert Plant's song Big Log comes along. <laughs> Um, well, look, I'll, I'll steer you in a completely di different direction. I think it is the, the French loaf of space. The French loaf. It's not quite the same colour, that's the only thing. The ballistic baguette. <laughs> the ballistic baguette, that's the one. Yes. Absolutely. What a name. Yeah, I like that. You should be in broadcasting, you know. I, 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 I'm going to try it one day. I am. <laughs> so what's happening with uh, Mua, the, um, the very elongated, uh, strangely shaped asteroid that is also also a um uh, you know it's it's come from another part of the universe it's not one of ours that that's correct so it's um it, it is uh the first uh, interstellar asteroid that we have seen passing through the solar system it whizzed through um in in october last year uh, zoomed past the, the the Earth. We didn't see it. It zoomed past the Sun. Uh, actually, it zoomed past the Sun first, then the Earth. And then we caught it as it was receding from 
from our neck of the woods in terms of you know our place in the solar system. But it's hurtling by at a speed that means that it can only have come from outside. Um, and so it has come from a distant uh, solar system. We don't know which one. Uh, we, you know, the, the, the problem is you don't really know how long it's been traveling for. <clears throat> but the suggestion, because it has got this brownish, reddish color to it, um, that suggests that it has been in space for a very long time, upwards of a million years at least, uh, because of the effect of cosmic rays on surfaces. We know what they do. Um, but what we also knew when uh, Oumuamua went by is that it is, it, it is tumbling. Um, I can't remember, actually. I should have checked the details, but um, I wrote an article about this and that has now gone completely out of my brain. Uh, it, that's it's why totally... you write things down, Fred, so you don't have to remember don't, them. don't remember them, that's right. <laughs> but if I had a bit of foresight, I would have had a look at it before I started talking to you. <laughs> uh, if I remember rightly, it's, it's rotation, it's tumbling period is is on the order of, it's a few hours. Um, that, you know, that's, that's the, the rate at which it's tumbling. That's, but, fair, uh, that's fairly slow in the scheme of things, isn't it? It is. Uh, that's right. Yes, if it was minutes, uh, you, you'd be worried because this thing's a couple of hundred meters long. Uh, it's long and thin. It's probably 40 meters or so wide, uh, but a couple of hundred meters long and tumbling around, uh, as, as I mentioned. Um, the, the, the really interesting bit, and this is where the new research has uh, has uh, been brought in is about the nature of that tumble. Uh, so um, it's actually a, a research group led by Dr. Wes Fraser, who's at Queen's University in Belfast in Northern Ireland. Uh, what they've done is they've carefully analyzed what we call the light curve. And what that means is the, the way that the light reflected from the sun, because that's how we saw it when it went past the sun, it was reflecting sunlight, the way that light changes in intensity. Uh, so you can, what you can do with modern telescopes is, is um, you know, basically create a series of points where, at which you know the brightness. <clears throat> and these are probably a matter of seconds apart. And so you get a very accurate plot of how its brightness is varying. And what that plot has told uh, the, the, the Queen's University group is that this is not uh, a rotation in the sense that it's simply tilting end over end. It is actually uh, what is defined as a tumble. We did call it a tumble, but it's a tumble uh, that has chaotic movement. So it is tumbling end over end, but it's also spinning along mm. its axis and it's probably <clears throat> sort of the axis is wobbling about as well so it's a really chaotic motion yeah that, uh, that sounds very much like what happens when i hit a golf ball <clears throat> very it, chaotic it, i'm sure your golf ball feels exactly the same sense of chaos as Oumuamua is. And the reason why you don't notice it in your golf ball is because your golf ball's spherical. Mm. And so it's hard to tell that it's, it's um, moving chaotically, if it is. I'm sure you're underestimating your golfing skills, um, Andrew. But look, if you imagine yourself um, being really bad at golf, in fact, approaching the level that I always was at golf, and so that when you uh, hit the ball, you also accidentally let go of the, of the club, uh, <laughs> And that spins end over end and wiggles around. That's basically oh. what Oumuamua is doing. Right. It's the same sort of motion. Uh, and, um, and that is indicative of uh, sometime in Oumuamua's past, 
it's indicative of a collision. Um, it, it means that it has collided with another object because that's, you know, the, the most likely way, <clears throat> excuse me, to create that chaotic motion. Now, we don't know when that collision took place. The, the overwhelming likelihood is that it took place in the solar system from which Oumuamua was ejected. And it maybe was that collision that kicked it out of that solar system. I was about to ask. That sounds yeah. like a feasible argument, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. So really a remarkable and very strange object. Um, there was some thought given after Oumuamua passed through the inner solar system of trying to mount a space mission to chase after it. Yes, I was going to ask you because I did read about that and I wondered if they were still considering it. Uh, I think it's effectively been ruled out simply because it's moving too quickly. And by the yeah, time you got, there's a Tesla Roadster out there. I reckon <laughs> we could probably catch up. Yeah, unfortunately, by now its batteries have probably run down. <laughs> it's going the wrong way anyway. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's leaving the solar system at um, something like 23, 24 kilometers per second. Uh, and to mount a, a space mission that would actually have enough oomph to overtake it and maybe, you know, do a flyby, we simply don't have the resources to do that. However, what I think it has done, it, it's alerted us to the existence of these things. They've been, they've been um, postulated for, for decades that we should occasionally see debris from other solar systems passing through our own solar system. Um, but the, the fact is that it's only now... Uh, with the kinds of telescopes that are uh, that are scanning the skies for uh, what we call transient objects, things that come and go, and there are a whole range of new telescopes doing that, including one huge one, the uh, thing called the Large Synoptic Survey Telescope, uh, which is an eight-meter class telescope that will look at the entire sky, um, something like every six nights. So you know anything that's moving through will be picked up. Mm. Um, th so that's th the fact that we have these new facilities is why we are going to start seeing these things. And Oumuamua is the first. Its name means the first messenger from afar in Hawaiian. Um, so um, I think that what will happen is that uh, groups of scientists will uh, put together the idea of a space mission to chase after one of these so that they're almost ready for this thing uh, if and when it comes, the next one that flies through the solar system, to go and get a really good look at it because this is a free sample mm -hmm. from another solar system if you can, you know, if you can rendezvous with it and, and take some images. Yes, and uh, fascinating. And, and yeah, we've learned so much already from something that was just passing by and uh, now we know what to look for. We, we may, uh, well, probably will definitely see, see more of them. Yeah. Um, and, and look, I just did a Google uh, Translate on uh, Oumuamua and it said Space Doogie, so I'm not sure you're right, Fred. That's... <laughs> okay, mm. that's modern Hawaiian. <laughs> yes, it probably is. <laughs> this is Space Nuts, uh, Dr. Fred Watson and Andrew Dunkley. Now, let's take a little break and find out more about our sponsor, ExpressVPN, rated number one by TechRadar. Uh, this is the one I use. I've been using it for a couple of years and I love it. When I joined ExpressVPN, they were, they were brand new, uh, new to the market, but uh, I read a lot of reviews and did a lot of comparisons. And there was just something about their, their business model that I particularly liked. And a couple of years down the track, honestly, can't complain. Their interface is very easy to use. Their, their service is 
second to none. Uh, I've had to contact them a couple of times about um, certain things that I wanted to do and they were brilliant. So you may be wondering why I do need a VPN at all. It's all about privacy. Uh, do you really want big tech companies, governments and others knowing uh, what's going on with your online activity? Even if you're having nothing to hide, it just feels downright creepy. Uh, I think you'll agree. And governments are getting more and more interested in what you're doing every day. And so, yeah, protecting your privacy is what VPN is all about. And how often do you uh, run across websites that you want to get information from only to find that they're geo-blocked? This is becoming an increasing problem, but ExpressVPN solves that problem for you. Uh, now, if you go to our special URL, you'll see quite a list of things this service can help you with, things you may never have thought of before. As I say, it's the one I use, secure, fast, and it just works. Uh, so protect yourself online today and find out more about how to get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's T-R-Y-E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash space for three months free with a one year package. Try expressvpn.com slash space to learn more and you'll find the link details in the show notes and on our website. Now... Back to the show. Okay, we checked all four systems and King with a go. Space Nuts. Now, Fred, some fake news. It appears the US President Donald Trump wants to end funding to the International Space Station. Not now and not tomorrow and not next week, but, you know, in the foreseeable future. Um, obviously, he's got an issue with this or he's just trying to save money for the next war. What is it? Uh, well, it's not fake news. It's um, it's absolutely true, and it's neither of the above. Ah. Uh, so, um, and, and in a way, um, I guess we could have predicted this, knowing uh, the things that are close to Donald Trump's heart, uh, which is private enterprise. Mm. And so, what he wants to do is, uh, as of 20, uh, 2025, uh, to end the US funding for the International Space Station in order to push it into the private sector, um, which is a really interesting idea. <laughs> uh, so um, it's, uh, you know, I think he, he's a pragmatist. He's somebody who um, I think uh, values the commercial sector and what it can contribute. And, and you know, we're already seeing that with NASA, with the, the contracts that companies like SpaceX and, um, and Orbital Sciences have for providing launch services. So um, NASA is already well on the path to that kind of commercialization. But this is quite a big piece of news that um, by 2025, uh, Donald Trump would like to see um, that space station being run by commercial enterprises, whether they are scientific or manufacturing or touristic or whatever. I, I suspect he doesn't care. I think all he wants to see is the space station effectively making money. Yes. And that's, that's a, a really, really interesting idea. So he's, um, why is it in the news this week? Well, um, the 2019 budget proposal, uh, which of course has to be passed by Congress and all the rest of it, is uh, it, it contains NASA's uh, budget. Their budget for 2019 is, I think, 19.6 billion US, um, which is 
a little bit more than it has been of late. Um, uh, it was uh, last year, I think it was 19.1 billion. Um, I have to say, uh, Andrew, just to, to take a pause here, <clears throat> that that sounds like a colossal amount of money, and it is. Oh, it's massive. It's, it's, oh. I think it would cover the national debt in Australia, and I'm not making jokes. It would come close. But uh, despite the fact that it's a big number, um, what NASA achieves with that is absolutely staggering. Um, they do the most extraordinary things, not just in space, but in aviation as well. Uh, that budget is spread very, very thinly across their research projects. Uh, so I, um, I'm always amazed that they achieve as much as they do with that amount. And just to add, it pales into insignificance uh, compared with the U.S. defense budget, which, I, if I remember rightly, off the top of my head, is about $650 billion a year. Wow, that's so, just staggering dollars, that's isn't it? That's right. So, you know, it, it's, this is um, the research that NASA does with their budget, I think, is extraordinary. Mm. Uh, um, these are, I can say, that's $650 billion. That's my recollection from checking it out a few months ago. Uh, it might, might be wrong, but it's of that order, uh, which, is, which is incredible. Uh, just one other statistic. You know, when uh, NASA's New Horizons uh, flew by Pluto yes. in 2015, um, one of the comments that was made was that the that mission, uh, which from launch to its present state, and it's still going on, uh, and all the running costs and the launch costs and the cost of building the spacecraft, it was something like $700 million, the cost of it, which is enough to keep uh, the U.S. military running for nine hours. Oh. That's the, that was the statistic that, you know, uh, I have absolutely nothing against the U.S. military. I know, but... Yeah, extremely valuable to our world, but it just puts things in perspective. It and does, and it also sort of takes us back to that argument about people saying, "Well, why are we spending all this money on space exploration when we could be feeding the hungry?" Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Uh, why don't you just go and talk to Donald Trump about the military spending and then come back to astronomy later? I mean, there's yeah. all sorts of arguments like that. You That's can't right. just point at astronomy as as being exactly. the big bad wolf because it's exactly. actually not spending that much money compared to some. Yeah, mm. and, and actually, I mean, the bottom line with that sort of argument is it's never a straight choice. I mean, uh, our modern world seeks to invest in the future, in future knowledge and things of that sort. If it was simply a choice between exploring the universe and feeding the hungry, it'd be a no-brainer. You'd yeah, feed the hungry, but it's not like that. Yeah. So just coming back to the story, um, we've got this increase in NASA's budget for next year, but um, there is a, a part of the proposed budget uh, which I think amounts to something like $150 million, which is to sort of um, leverage uh, the idea of private companies eventually taking over space station operations. Mm. So they're, they're thinking, you know, I think they're thinking pretty cleverly here. They're going to invest in the idea of private enterprise investing in the, in the space station over the next seven years, the, 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 the seven years up till from 2018 to 2025. And, and, and space tourism is probably a feasible option. We've already seen um, billionaires spend quite yeah. a bit of money to spend time on the Russian space station, on Mir or whatever it was. Well, uh, in, in fact, Soyuz. No, Mir, wasn't it? It, well, um, it was principally the ISS, the International Space Station, from uh, in the well, early wow. 2000s. I think there were something like seven or eight 
space tourists, some of them very well-known names. Um, they paid uh, a minimum of $20 million for the privilege. One of them, I think, paid twice that. Uh, at least one of them went up twice. Because he um, had a window seat, that's why. That's right, yeah. It was because they, the Soyuz launch vehicles had a spare seat in them. Right. And it was a company, I think they were called Space Enterprises, Space... I can't remember. Uh, but they, 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 were, they basically brokered a deal between um, Roscosmos, the, the, the operators of the Soyuz spacecraft, and, uh, and the, the, these very wealthy people to allow them to visit the space station. Great, a great pioneering step mm. for space tourism. Um, just coming back to the, the present story, though, um, your, your thoughts about tourism are, are, are probably not ill-founded because we've just seen the start of what I think is a new era in space launches with, with the reusable boosters that, um, uh, that SpaceX is, is providing, that is going to bring down the cost of launches. Um, I'm not saying that it's ever going to bring space travel down to the pockets of people like you and me. No, uh, never. $27.50 to spare, if that. Um, it's, it, but it will make it a much more feasible option. And so I think it is, yeah, it's a very interesting proposal. And yeah. I think there is some thinking within the space community that maybe it's just a little bit premature, that maybe the space station is not yet ready for that. Um, one or two people have said it makes no sense at all, but uh, most people are interested in it as an idea. Mm. Well, um, what, what sort of lifespan have they put on the space station, or is it looking? Are they looking at it being up there for you know an in, indistinguishable amount of time? I think um, so. The, the certainly the current funding um, uh, regime takes it to 2020 yeah. uh, that was the status and i think probably beyond 2020 to 2025 and it's that uh, 2025 window that that donald trump wants people to look at it may turn out to be impractical impossible maybe better done in 2030 or thereabouts but i would guess that like many big pieces of scientific infrastructure <clears throat> it may well end up being in the commercial the commercial sector the private sector well, the very first thing they ought to do is send a cleaner up there from <laughs> images I've seen. <laughs> Why not? mess. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll probably hear more about this as it gets closer. Not fake news. Not fake news. It's not fake news. Mm. You're listening to Space Nuts. Andrew Dunkley here with Fred Watson. Roger, you're live. here also. Space Nuts. Now, Fred, uh, to our final topic in episode 90. <laughs> It's supposed to have reverb on it. Never mind. Uh, it's it's um, a question that comes from uh, Daryl Harper of Forest Lake. Uh, hi, Daryl. Uh, he says, uh, hey, are scientists working on a gravity device for places like the space station? But you could also translate the question to, um, you know, long-haul travel in space, like going to Mars, for example. Uh, we've seen artificial gravity portrayed in a multitude of science fiction shows, those big spaceships that have the, the big hoop-like structure that rotates, creating artificial gravity. Uh, it was well portrayed in um, uh, the likes of Mission to Mars and Red Planet and... Uh, more recently in The Martian. There seems to be Martian or Mars stories that, that, that portray these things, but uh, that's the sort of technology I guess he's talking about. Is it on the drawing board? Um, I think it is, Andrew. Um, just going back to the movies, I think the, um, 
the portrayal was perhaps most um, most cogently done in that classic of all time, 2001 of Space Odyssey. Yes. Uh, because the spacecraft uh, in that certainly had um, artificial gravity. So, um, okay, the only way we know to create gravity is either to have something very big, like a planet, um, and that's clearly impossible, or to use um, accelerations. So um, you could, you know, if you've got a spacecraft that's constantly accelerating, uh, then that is going to provide a gravity, gravitational pull. And actually, um, there was a proposal, just thinking about this, uh, a few years ago, um, it was it was made by Richard Gott, who is a he's a, a, a relativity specialist, a gravitational specialist, and he wrote a book about time travel within Einstein's theory of relativity. And one of the ways that you can travel through time is by speeding yourself up, going a long way, coming back again, and you've not aged very much, but everybody back home has aged ten years or oh, twenty yeah, years. There's years. a name for that. Um, it's called the well. It's the twins paradox. The twins paradox. Yes, yeah. and and I I, I was uh, actually um, um, I learned a little bit about that uh, through our through our sponsor, the Great Courses Plus, because they talk about that in uh, in one of those um, those lectures, yeah. and they were saying that uh, if you have twins on the ground, they're four years old. One of them goes into space and travels at 99% the speed of light for four years. He comes back eight years old, but his brother's 104. Yeah, that's right. That's astounding to me. It's bizarre, but but we know it works because we've seen it happen in the subatomic world. Um, but so, so, you know, one of the suggestions for this kind of uh, tomfoolery, if I can call it that, uh, time, time travel through space, um, was that you, you have a rocket, you send people off in a rocket, which is always accelerating at nine, you know, 9.8 meters per second per second, which is the same acceleration that gravity produces. Mm. So if you've got a rocket that's doing that for, you know, constantly, uh, you would you would be able to stand up on the bottom of the rocket because the gravitational pull would feel exactly as it does here on Earth. That, however, is a fairly impractical method because it uses huge amounts of fuel to sustain that kind of acceleration yeah. and so the way that um, most people think of is exactly as you've said rotating uh, structures well uh, if, I, if I can just from a from a, a layman's point of view from where I sit that does not seem to be a difficult prospect it doesn't seem to me that creating something in space that will rotate and create artificial gravity would be a very difficult thing to achieve, or am I wrong? Um, I think it has to be done extremely carefully, uh, because I think there are there are nuances in the in the idea. Uh, I did read up on this some time ago. <laughs> Once again, I can't remember what I read, <laughs> but um, the the um, that, look the simplest way to do it would be two space capsules tethered together and rotating about their common center of mass. Yeah. So you've got to set up that rotation in a way that it doesn't turn into a chaotic tumble like the one that Muamua uh, is, is carrying out. Mm. Um, and it, it has to be done uh, with extreme care. But I have seen uh, proposals from the likes of SpaceX that maybe for a Mars mission uh, in, you know, in 20 years or so, something like that, 
uh, it might be a consideration to put people in artificial gravity because we know that weightlessness is damaging to uh, to our physical health. So um, it's a possibility that that will happen. But the bigger structures, you know, the things like the the space station in 2001, the Space Odyssey, these are very large, very complex. Uh, It would need a lot of space engineering uh, to to make them work. But I think down the track, it's going to happen. I Mm. think uh, not in 2001, clearly. But maybe in two, uh, 2101, we might see these structures in orbit around the Earth providing artificial gravity in space. Yeah, and, and that would really change the game completely when it comes to particularly long-haul travel in space, yeah. uh, travelling yeah. to Mars. If you were able to replicate 1G for the, in, yeah. for the duration of the trip, it would make a huge difference to the uh, ability of humans to to explore because they would not lose that muscle density and they wouldn't uh, be weakened by the the circumstances that face astronauts now. Exactly, exactly so. And that leaves the the only major problem for such long-haul flights as the the radiation issue, which is, you know, one that is still still being worked on. Aluminium foil. That's the stuff. That'll do it. Just wrap yourself in alfoil and away yeah. you go. Sadly, um, what you actually need is lead blocks, and they're not that good in space. No, no. And if you've got a 1G environment, they're, yeah, not, they're not practical at all. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the, the, uh, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. We may not see it for quite some time, but, uh, Daryl, there's the answer to your question. Yes, it's certainly on the agenda, but it may be... Um, quite some time before it becomes a, um, a real thing, would be fair to say. But we certainly do love your questions and we do encourage you to send them in and we occasionally look at them. So do send them to us via Facebook or Twitter or any way you like. Maybe you'd like to um, bring them to us personally. Uh, we, we think that'd be great. Just, you know, catch a plane, fly to Australia, jump in a car, drive way out here to Dubbo in central New South Wales and shove it under the door of the radio station and then go home. That's fine. That's fine with me. Uh, Fred, as always, it's a great pleasure. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure too, Andrew. Um, I'm a bit miffed that you're not telling these people to shove it under my door. You'd be um, a bit closer to the airport than me. That's right. Six hours closer, to be honest. And he's got a much nicer door than I have. (laughs) I just saw someone actually deliver something to his door and he he wouldn't say hello to me. (laughs) <laughs> Couriers can be so rude sometimes. Yes. <laughs> but not all of them. Not the ones that listen to us. Of course not. Mm. Thank you, Fred. We'll catch you next week. It sounds great. Thanks, Andrew. Take That's care. It's Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. And from me, Andrew Dunkley, thank you again for listening to the podcast known as Space Nuts. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com.